for your Emmy consideration for Outstanding Drama Series in all other categories, the HBO original series The Nevers takes place in August 1896. Victorian London is rocked to its foundation by a supernatural event which gives certain people, mostly women, abnormal abilities, from the wondrous to the disturbing. But no matter their particular turns, all who belong to this new underclass are in grave danger. It falls to mysterious, quick-fisted widow Amalia True, played by Laura Donnelly, and brilliant young adventure Penance Adair, played by Anne Skelly, to protect and shelter these gifted orphans. To do so, they will have to face the brutal forces determined to annihilate their kind. All episodes now streaming on HBO Max. We are here today with director Kate Heron, who takes us into the world of Disney Plus Marvel's Loki. Tell us about how you landed the directing gig uh, for Loki. Did you send in, like Taika, you know, like Taika Waititi got the job on Ragnarok uh, because he sent a sizzle reel of what he thought he thought the threequel would look like and it and it and it had um it had that kurt russell film um <laughs> big thing in little china i forget the name of it oh big trouble in little china big trouble right. in little china and um amongst among other films and it was just basically to show this gist of what he thought it was going to be did you do did you assemble something like that um to land loki did Kevin call you up and say, hey, I was watching Sex Education and I love how you handled that scene. And, I, and I'd love to see more of that in Loki. So basically I found out that Marvel were making a show about Loki and I love the character. And I remember I told my agent, I was like, just call them every day. <laughs> I was like, and, and eventually they'll meet me. Like, you know, and they did, they did. So I, I basically, the, there were like three stages to my pitch. So I initially met uh, Stephen Broussard and Kevin Wright, who two of the Marvel executives. And I was told it was like a friendly meet and greet. But I basically was like, I'm going to pitch them because I don't know they're going to meet me again. I don't know if I'll get to the next stage. So I, I basically prepared this kind of document and it had everything in it. I had like casting ideas, story ideas, uh, design, lighting, um, why I love Loki the character. When I did the big pitch to Kevin Feige, I also had cut together like fight scenes on like fighting styles for characters. I'd cut together scenes of the effects and how, you know, like, I don't want to spoil too much for anyone, but the first episode, like Minority Report was a big touchstone for me um, in terms of like how we show memory. I wanted it to feel like a play of his life. And just because for me, I think it felt more emotional. Like I didn't want it to feel like too much like a clip show in some ways. and. I felt like it was more emotionally impactful to fill in the room with him because I, I love that moment in Minority Report where he sees that projection of his wife and it's so painful, right? Because she's no longer there. And I felt like seeing memories of a life you can't have or could have had and feeling like they were people almost putting on a play on a stage to me, that for me felt really emotionally strong and just also putting you know, him in the audience perspective that I felt like it was so interesting to be in the room with him watching these moments that we know. So 
yeah so I had a lot in that pitch <laughs> I kind of honestly it was just a big download from everything in my brain and everything I wanted to bring to it so did you did you create a lookbook yeah yeah it had images of like architecture in it um the style like yeah I mean the pitch essentially was like a massive PowerPoint presentation and then I had my notes to accompany it that just kind of sat in front of me which was this big document of stuff so yeah but I had so, pictures to go alongside it. The so the architecture, you know, I love the set design in it. It it's like very 1984, very Kubrick. And yeah. I was like, was that was that what you were thinking? Was that in your initial lookbook? And did it make it in? Yeah. So basically, I I grew up in Southeast London, and actually, A Clockwork Orange was filmed down the road from me. Whereabouts? So, whereabouts? Tell um, me. So Thamesmead is where they actually filmed a, clock, a lot of A Clockwork Orange and that's like Southeast. So, and Children of Men also filmed a lot there. There's a lot of dystopic sci-fi that seems to have filmed where I grew up, but yeah, I just, I love the idea of taking the brutalist architecture. Cause I was thinking about the, obviously the TVA and the timekeepers being this, you know, all knowing powerful force, but then marrying that up with this kind of Midwest architecture, which is, you know, cause the TVA are very heroic and very classy and, you know, they're like the heroes that protect time. So it felt like a fun way to like bring those two styles together. But also beyond that, I just wanted the show honestly to be like a big love letter to sci-fi. Like, and I pulled from so many places. I mean, the font on the computers was inspired by Alien. The time doors in the show were inspired, um, sorry, inspired by Dune. Um, I'm trying to think now, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy was a big touchstone for me for Fish Out of Water aspect, the novel, obviously. Um, yeah, there was just so many things that I was pulling from because it's such a joy, right, to even beyond like the fact that I love Loki and getting to tell his story, we were getting to set up like this whole new part of the MCU, which is a filmmaker is incredible. So yeah, I went in with quite a strong idea on what I thought could be cool for the style and yeah, and the technology as well. Like, I would also say, like, I pulled also from the comics. Like, they had these amazing images of like rows of desks stretching off into infinity. So it was taking that idea and blending it into okay. So how do I show an office, like a city almost, but more than a city because it's infinite that exists outside of time and space? And that also for me informed the lighting approach. Like, I was really excited because there's a mystery running through the story, and I love film noir. Like giving it a sense of that noirish kind of look in the lighting because also it lent itself well because you know we had all this artificial light and I, I had to look slightly out out of time and out of space and it was out of the ordinary so it felt tonally to me that the lighting and that kind of shooting style also really brought the tone of the show tell me about your inspiration for there's that scene where it's in, I believe it's in the first episode where Loki is walking with Mobius and there's a shot as to what the city of TBA looks like. And it reminds me a lot of um, the, the work from the artist who did the original Star Wars uh, drawings, concept drawings. Mm -hmm. um, was that, like, what was your inspiration for that image? Because it was gorgeous. It was very retro. Sci-fi. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think for me, like, so basically I had, obviously I should say, like I had all these ideas in my head for the pitch, but then Kazra, our production designer came in and he pitched. And I remember there were just like pictures in his pitch, like of 
computers and technology and some of the pictures in his pitch were the same as mine and he hadn't seen my pitch and I was like oh this guy's already in my head and on the same page of me this is amazing but me and him were definitely inspired by the comics in terms of showing that infinite horizon but he did this beautiful illustration of the TVA viewpoint honestly and he was you know taking inspiration from all the architecture and films like Metropolis and I think but then also something that's completely uniquely Kazra as well. And I, I definitely say like, yeah, we took inspiration from his beautiful drawing that he did with his team. And then the visual effects team took over, but it was always meant to have this kind of out of reality feeling to it. You know what I mean? Like it isn't quite real, it kind of in the sense of it almost feels like a painting, but it's not a painting. And I think that was the kind of real tightrope to capture with that is showing this sort of, unknowable place because that viewpoint really is the only time you get a sense of seeing the scale of the TVA in such a way. Um, mm -hmm. the, um, the other question I wanted to ask, what did you have access to the script before you, you submitted your pitch? Because you said you had casting ideas. Yeah, so so basically I got sent the, uh, I got sent the first episode and an outline. So basically off that outline and the first episode, I had like, yeah, story ideas, casting ideas. Um, one of the cast, uh, and some of it was as simple as like, so Wumi's character, I thought it'd be really cool if that was a female character. It was originally written as a man. And I just was like, I think this could be really interesting if it's like, you know, a woman bossing it in this role. And I don't know, I just like, I love like women in sci-fi, like Ripley and, Cara Thrace but both really amazing examples of obviously Ripley was originally written as a male character and Cara Thrace you know the original version of that character was played by a man in the first Battlestar Galactica and I just thought it would be really interesting and so that that's one example and then another example would be Gugu was in my pitch like I just you know I thought she'd be really interesting for that character I thought it'd be something quite different for her and I just think she's such a brilliant actor so yeah no I got sent that and, and I think the script for me was just really exciting because you know, I was excited about where they were taking Loki and then just things like, you know, how I wanted to approach the time theater. And like I said, and how we show memory, like that all came to me from reading the script. Cause I was like, okay, well, rather than cut full screen with these memories, let's show them like this. So I think for me, it was really exciting. And me and Michael both really connected on the themes of the show. And obviously like once I joined, um, as I'm sure people have seen, like they didn't run this in the kind of ordinary showrunner TV system. Like Kevin Feige was like, I want to run these like movies. So I think something that was really important to me and Michael was like, you know, we were running it like a film and it was very collaborative, but we knew the show was going out every week, right? On Disney plus. So it does, the story does have an episodic feeling to it because it, that's how people are going to view it. So I think we wanted to create like, a bit like the epic scale that people expect from the Marvel movies, but kind of give them something a little bit different in terms of, you know, these are like not bite-sized, but it's shorter, almost like short stories they get to enjoy each week and hopefully they'll provoke discussion week to week and excitement as the story unfolds. David, there's this amazing drama series that's up for Emmy consideration at HBO called The Nevers. A supernatural event has occurred and it gave certain people, mostly women, these abnormal abilities from the wondrous to the disturbing. It, it was only six episodes long for this season. The second part of it is coming. You want to talk about a twist of an ending. Oh, it's, it's mind-blowing. 
All episodes now streaming on HBO Max. Now, are the same set of comic books on Loki that inspired you the same ones that they're semi-adapting it from? I know they do their own thing in the end, you know, uh, but I, I was just curious if you could, were there specific issues? No, I, I would say, honestly, this is a completely unique story and it's actually not like we have references to comics across it and you know Loki as you've seen he's got many different comic runs but I and I and I do love his stories across so many of them but no the thing that I thought was cool about this was that it is a unique story and it is different and yeah I mean there's obviously as people have seen in the trailer we have nods to people in the comics and moments in the comics but I would say that yeah this isn't based on a particular story it's not an adaptation it's something new for Loki and then, um, okay, give us, give us some, you know, for, by the way, this is spoiler free and, and I will yeah, yeah. that when it goes up, um, because if it was, if, if we couldn't talk, we wouldn't have a show. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, the, um, this is post end game, even though we see, first of all, that moment, the Reddit crowd is going to go nuts because they're going to be like, he doesn't know what he's talking about. But I, you know, for those that may be lost, let's, let's talk about this. The scene where Loki steals the Tesseract yeah. in, in, when he's being arrested, the way you begin episode one, that's from a movie. Yeah. So no, we took that from the, the very first wide of that is from avengers actually okay yeah oh wait, no no it's not from avengers sorry I, I i i've taken footage from so many films um the very first wide shot that i used was from endgame but i read i t changed it slightly i would say that the way i filmed the opening of that i it was great because i was getting to use you know footage by all these amazing filmmakers but I deliberately chose stuff that wasn't necessarily all in Endgame. So there's like unused footage in there. I also shot new shots as well for that sequence where he steals the Tesseract. Um, just because I think for me, I was thinking of films like, you know, like Rashomon, for example, that it's an event that we've all seen. And obviously we've all seen the event where he steals the Tesseract. I know I watched it multiple times because I was like, where's he gone? Um, but I really wanted to kind of shift it into now we're in Loki's POV. So yeah, I'm sure eagle-eyed fans will notice stuff, but no, sorry, apologies. The opening wide shot of New York is from Endgame, but we have updated it slightly and changed things in it, obviously, because it's for our story. Now, Loki was killed in Infinity War yes. by Thanos, but there is another version of him running around the galaxy. Yeah, so basically the Loki we all love and have followed across the MCU, we saw him die in infinity war and like everyone i was like what like and so you know in end game they go back in time and that particular loki he doesn't get arrested and go to asgard he actually ends up stealing the tesseract and you know our show is going to show basically where did that loki go but it was a really fun storytelling challenge because 
you know, like I love Loki, but he hasn't had that character growth that the Loki we've seen across the films has, you know, this is the Loki from Avengers. So he's in a very different emotional headspace, I'd say, to the Loki that we've seen change and grow. So it was fun to put him into a new environment for sure. Do we know the Loki that was killed, if that was a carbon copy or if that was the real thing, or will we learn more about that? I would say you'd learn more about that, right? Like as we set up the TVA and the rules of time and how that works. So yeah, so all will be explained in the first episode in terms of, you know, how, how, how that would work with those two Lokis. And there's multiple Lokis. Well, only in the sense that, you know, you have the Infinity War Loki, but technically not really because he died. But then our Loki, obviously, who we see in Endgame, he stepped off his path essentially so not really it's more that there weren't really multiple it's more just that the one in endgame you know he stepped off his path created something that we call a branch in our show and that's where the tva intervene and they arrest him the show what's wonderful about it is that you can watch it it's like westworld and mr robot you could watch it over again and find new things I'm assuming that's the, the reason that that was your intention for building it that way. Yeah, I think the really fun thing about all the fans, right, is that and it's a unique thing as a director is, you know, that every frame of the show is going to get screenshotted. So, you know, you want to leave little ref. I mean, I'd say like mainly references. I don't want to say Easter eggs because I don't want to drive everyone bananas looking for stuff but I, I would say more like we have kind of cool references to the comics throughout and you know, if people look at the numbers in the TVA archives, for example, I've hit a few numbers in there that are from like the first few comics where the TVA were in the comics. So that's kind of a fun reference for an, an example there. But there's also like movie references as well. Like I have a needle drop to the movie seven, which was a big visual reference for me. Um, but yeah, no, I think it's kind of, it is an interesting thing though, definitely directing something and knowing that you know, almost like the audience who love these films are like detectives and they're going to look for clues wherever they can. So, but yeah, but I hope that people will go back and watch it and get new things out of it on rewatches for sure. Is that Captain Marvel's cat we see? I would say, I don't, it's a funny one, right? Because I, I don't want to ruin things for anyone, but no, I would say like, the cat in question is he belongs to the, the 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 agent we see in that cube that was actually a really fun pitch from our production designer Kazro is a genius he he basically was like talking about because they don't really get breaks as people will spot on the posters they get 17 minute lunch breaks at the TVA and there's not really like day or night so they don't really ever stop working so I liked the he pitched the idea of oh this guy should just have his cat work with him because he just lives in that cube so no he belongs to the the very loving owner there. I mean, you can see the cat on his mug. So yeah, they're clearly very close. <laughs> I love that Owen Wilson is in the show. Um, tell me about him coming on board. Uh, was it, you know, he hasn't worked in quite a while, most likely by choice, but was it hard to hook him? Uh, I know Kevin has a lot to do with these decisions. You know, like he was, he was very instrumental with, um, getting uh, Julia Louise Dreyfus for Falcon and the Winter Soldier. But tell me about getting Owen on board. And what I love about it, initially, I thought it was a young, I thought it was um, 
Tony Stark's dad, like he was playing a version <laughs> of Tony Stark's dad. And no, he's not he's playing a completely different guy. Um, but tell me about Owen. Yeah, so I, I basically had a call with Owen. Um, he was someone we were really excited about to play Mobius and like, you know, his work, like I, 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 I love comedy. Um, I would say like his work on like Bottle Rocket, The Royal Tenenbaums, like I, I think he's an amazing writer. Like his work with Wes Anderson that he also wrote is like some of my favorite Wes Anderson films because I think they have so much heart. Um, so no, it was just really fun talking to him. I mean, honestly, we just had this very long detailed conversation on the phone about it. And, you know, I spoke about Loki and Loki in the MCU. We spoke about the show, where his character will be going in the show, where his character fits into the TVA. Um, yeah, we kind of spoke about everything really. And I remember at the end of the call, he was like, I'm in. So I, yeah, I think the, the really fun thing with him was that he really wanted to do something outside of himself. And when an actor says that, it's such an exciting moment to be with them for that. So no, I'm, I'm really excited for everyone to see his chemistry with Tom. I think they, they play really well off each other. You know, Tom's like classically trained actor. He's done a lot of Shakespeare. And then you have Owen who sort of started off as like, you know, like an indie darling and went on to be this massive comedy star. So I think, they definitely bring very different approaches, but I think that's kind of the the secret source of it, you know? I think that, yeah, they have this amazing chemistry together. So since this is a film noir and the labyrinth of the storytelling, how much of it did you find in the editing room? Can you give us an example from episode one of, of something that you might've added that wasn't originally scripted? Yeah, sure. So I'm just thinking, um... Well, something we spoke about a lot was, um, I don't want to spoil things, but the things that happens to Loki in the time theater, you know, Michael, Tom and I and Marvel, we spoke about a lot, like what's the right moments for him to see there. And that that was something that we discussed a lot, I would say. Um, yeah, and in the edit, I would honestly say like, uh, in, to talk about that, I guess in a way it doesn't ruin anything for anyone. Cause I don't want to really reference a specific moment if people haven't seen it. Um, but I would say that, so when we were, when we were locked down, for example, I had these four months where, you know, I didn't know it was going to be four months, but I just was like, well, I'm just going to make the best of it. And I started editing everything we'd filmed already. And I think something that became really clear just in cutting all our footage together was just that the heart and the tone of it was definitely leaning towards, you know, the show definitely wears its heart on its sleeve and there's great moments of drama, but also the real fun thing is as you're cutting into the footage is you see these little nuances that all the actors are doing and you're like, oh, that's really fun. That's great. Let's push that further in the second half. So we definitely, I'd say like, based off these cuts I was doing, went back into the scripts and the scenes we hadn't filmed yet when we were able to go back to filming and it definitely informed the rest of the story going forwards for sure. Just cause you know, the nature of making anything you just get a better handle on the tone of what it is you're actually going for and what's landing and what's not landing so so covid broke up production into two into two installments yeah so we we were hard, not really halfway we were i think about six weeks into filming when we got shut down and yeah and then we stopped for the four months for filming but we were always working across that time you know i think everyone on the show was just really grateful to be working and I just wanted I thought well I'm like I said I was alone in Atlanta <laughs> and I was like I'm just gonna make the best of it I'm gonna try and like dig into what we've got so far and even just things like music like um you know like when I pitched 
initially to the studio, I always knew I wanted theremin to play into it somehow. Like I had, there's actually a song by Clara Rockmore um, that is a cover of The Swan on theremin, and that's actually in the show in episode two. And I think that I always liked the idea of that instrument playing into it somehow because, you know, I wanted the show to be this big kind of love letter to sci-fi. But then during the lockdown, we got on board our composer, Natalie Holt. And I remember again, it was sort of like so many of my heads of department, like she was like really like, oh, I think it'd be great to use theremin. And I was like, excellent, I feel the same. Um, but then also like, you know, she wanted the music to reflect Loki's personality, which I thought was great. Like it should be operatic and bold, but also a bit different. And I think working with her as well, I started to just put bits of her music already into the edits I was doing, which again, tonally really helped, you know, chase what kind of the story we were putting together was. So yeah, I think again, like we just really tried to use that time to just make the stories as good as we could. And you're still editing as we speak. Yeah, so I'm Yeah, I'm in post. So we've actually, we've locked the cuts now, um, but basically just to finish it. So we're kind of doing like, you know, you do color on the image to get it ready for TV. Visual effects are still coming in. So we have a lot of visual effects. Um, yeah, and sound mix basically. So we're just, I'm in the, I've only got a week left. So I'm sort of in the final home stretch now, really just getting up six ready to go. Is this a standalone season or, or do you expect more seasons or we don't know yet? Well, I would say for me, like in my head, like, you know, we've designed this to be a complete story and like, I'm definitely just focused on this season. Um, for anything else, I would say it would be really in Marvel's hands, you know, like you never know what Kevin Feige's got up his sleeve and what he's planning, but yeah, but in terms of me, like, no, I'm just really focused on getting this one done, so. And you tell us if this extends into another movie? I know sometimes Kevin makes this public. Yeah, so um, something I would say, like our, our show does have a really cool ripple effect across other stuff. And there's a really interesting uh, interview of Kevin Feige where he talks about that, so. Kate Heron, thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Brilliant. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Crew Call Podcast on Deadline. I'm your host, Anthony D'Alessandro, and our podcast series has been produced by David Janov. Make sure you subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts so you never miss an episode.